in my experience, the site acquisition team, they're really the pivot point for the project. They they really play the the project management role, if you will, because they they have a finger on the process from the very beginning to the very end. They're typically the one portion of the team that is working with all parties involved as well. So they're working with the landlord, they're working with the construction contractor, they're working with the engineer. They typically also control the budget more than anybody along the way. Uh, it's it's different from company to company, but so really the site acquisition folks, they, they really are the organizational brains, if you will, that are keeping everything on track and, and herding the cat, if you will. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Great to have you. Today, uh, Wayne and I are going to start a multi-series episode or a group of episodes we're calling the life cycle of a cell site. And our goal here is uh, to explain a little bit of the sausage making that goes on behind the scenes to make these cellular networks happen. So uh, today we're going to start with the first part uh, and it's going to focus on the design of the network. So what do you think, Wayne? Yeah, that's a great subject. And uh, it, I think before we even get started, man, it takes a lot of people to get this done. It is a large undertaking, even though it's been more efficient over the years, but it's pretty exciting to kind of peel back the onion, you know? For sure. So, uh, so what do you want to, how do you want to tackle this? What do you think? Mm, I, so I think, I think on the first part of this, it's a lot of your expertise. So I think I'll play the part of the interviewer and kind of walk, you can kind of walk us through, you know, the first pieces of it. And yeah. then I'll kind of ask questions along the way on how it gets done and how they determine the different pieces. And I think it'll be a good overview for our listeners. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's get started. So let's have you first tell us what a cell site is. This is a quick analogy. You know, what is a cell site and what's the differences? Sure. You know, one of the big misconceptions that I hear from a lot of people is they, they call them cell towers, right? And they, yeah. they think that all the towers that they happen to see that the tower is the cell site. But in fact, the tower is just a vertical structure that puts the cell site up in the air so it can do its thing. So the cell site is really electronics that are a combination of on the ground and and in the air, along with a bunch of antennas that are in the air that are transmitting and receiving signals to and from the devices. So the the reason they call it, if you listen to Cellular 101, one of our very first episodes, Mm -hmm. they're called cells because it's sort of like the mimicking of cells of the body that are all attached to each other and, and, and together create a whole network. And so if you think of each location as a cell site, it's a 
It's antennas in the air, basically. They could be on towers. They could be on buildings. They could be on grain silos. Anything that gets them high enough up in the air to do their job. Yeah, I think one note I'd add on that. I think I have read somewhere around 60 to 70% are on rooftops, not even on towers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, well, good, good, good introduction. So I think the first part, Dan, talk, talk a little bit about the design elements of a cell site. Sure. Yeah. So there's, if you listen to our careers in wireless that we did a few episodes ago with Carrie Charles, we talked a little bit about some of the different roles and within the design function of building a cellular network, there's kind of four basic design elements. There's a radio frequency design element. So these are, this is how I actually started my career right out of college. I was a, an RF engineer. So these are the folks that are designing kind of the, the techie guys, right? Where the sites have to go, that kind of thing. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Then there's what we call site acquisition. Think real estate, realtors, right? These are people that are acquiring the land to build the tower on or or getting a lease from a, a building owner to let the antennas go up on the roof of the building. They're doing the zoning and permitting with the local jurisdiction, that kind of thing. So that's the second element, site acquisition. Third would be architectural and structural engineering. So these are civil engineer types. These are guys that are doing CAD drawings to draw the, the drawings for the building or the tower. They're doing structural analysis on the tower to make sure it's strong enough. And then the fourth element, which is the last element in the whole process is construction. So as part of the design process, you want to have construction experts that make sure it's buildable, right? Make sure you're not designing something that can't be built because maybe the rooftop of the building you're going on isn't strong enough or or what have you. So those are really the four elements, radio frequency, site acquisition, architectural, and construction. And there's a lot of components in all of those four. Mm -hmm. So how about giving us the why they build? What are the two reasons? Pretty straightforward. Most people will think it's because of coverage, right? Don't have mm-hmm. enough coverage, need a cell site to provide more coverage. But actually today in most of our kind of urban, suburban areas that we use our phones, it's driven by capacity. You've got enough sites to cover the area, but you'll have areas where the network can't handle the demand put on it. As users, it feels to us like it's a coverage hole. But more often than not, it's really not a coverage hole. It's because there's a capacity problem in that area. So capacity is one of the big drivers that you get anywhere that you have large population growth and population centers. So coverage and capacity, that's it. Pretty straightforward. That's right. Well, perfect. Well, let's just move on to the first element, which is RF, radio frequency. Jump in. All right. Like I said, that's that's kind of my my where I where I cut my teeth in this industry is a radio frequency engineer. And and really, our job was very, it's very math and statistics focused. And it's also very geographic information systems focused, very mapping focused. So, you know, we're dealing with these statistical models that will help us run predictions on how the radio frequency coverage of a site is working. And the best way, the best analogy I give people, if you were to look, you look at some of these coverage predictions, it, it might look a lot like what you see on the news at night when they're doing the weather report, right? Where you see these maps of different colors that are showing where a low pressure system might be or what have you. That's similar to uh, what we would use for, for doing design work. And we're basically predicting how a site and a group of sites are interacting to provide coverage on the ground. And then with that, we're able to then identify where are the locations we might need a new site, plop that site down theoretically, 
run new predictions to see how the system now would interact with each other to to make a change in service and um, and just sort of modify from there. So then once we know where that site needs to go, then we need to start figuring out, okay, how tall does it need to be? What kind of antennas do we need? Uh, what frequencies are we going to be using? It's a very interactive approach. And so once we, we think we know where we, where we want the site to go, we're, we're going to try to take into account some things that our site acquisition real estate people are going to be giving us in the design process, which is things like, hey, these are areas that might be zoned where you're allowed to build a site. You know, some areas, you know, local zoning and permitting won't allow you to build sites. And so you, you can't just build a tower in the middle of a residential neighborhood oftentimes. So, you know, as a design engineer, we'll try to focus in those areas that are more friendly to having sites built as driven by the, the site acquisition folks. And then we'll give them what's called a, a we call it a SCIP, S-C-I-P, uh, let's see, a CELS, let's see, site coverage information packet, I think is what it stood for. And it basically is a search ring. It's a ring or a, a blob that tells the real estate person, hey, I want a site somewhere in here. I want it to be this tall. And then those real estate folks, they'll go hit the street. They'll go look for landlords that are willing to rent uh, either dirt if we're building a tower or a rooftop or top of a grain silo or whatever to us. And they'll get landlords that say, yeah, I'm interested. And you know, I could do it for the price that you're willing to offer or whatever. And and then they'll come back with a package of up to, you know, however many candidates kind of industry standard is three, but it just depends. And then the engineer will take those three candidates, analyze them to see which one they like the best and tell the site acquisition person, yeah, here's my favorite one. Let's go after this one. And then now, now it's game on. Now it's, let's get a lease negotiated. Let's, let's apply for zoning and permitting and that kind of thing. And so that's the part of the design process. The site acquisition person's playing a role in is finding those candidates giving the engineer feedback so that the engineer is picking a, a location that's leasable, zonable, and so on. And then, and then once everybody's like, yeah, that's the site, the site acquisition specialist really plays the role of a project manager. And they say, okay, let's all do a field trip. Let's all go to the site. Let's visit it together and let's put our eyes on it and finish the design. Let's make this a real implementable design. And so that's when the radio frequency engineer, site acquisition specialist, and then the architect and possibly a construction person will all go together and they'll go walk the site and they'll say, okay, I want to put my antennas here. I want to put my equipment here. I want to route my fiber or my coax here. Construction guy might say, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that because whatever, you know, construction standards aren't going to allow that. Or the architect might say, well, I don't know if this rooftop can support that much weight. So I'm going to have to do a structural analysis of it or, you know, what have you. So those four folks will all go out and walk the site together and come up with that final design. Yeah. Here's a question for you. So RF, do they, do they determine, uh, is that the group that determines, Hey, this is 5g technology, this is 4g or the frequency determination of the site per yeah. se, like, yeah, yeah right. and they would do, they would do that based on what am I looking for? Um, licensing and different things like that. How, how does that go into play? Well, typically there's sort of a, a higher level of design at a radio frequency engineering level that says, hey, for this market, this geographic bound, let's say, of the greater Denver, Miami area, mm -hmm. uh, these are the frequencies we have available to us that we need okay. to use. That'll be sort of given to the design engineers that are designing individual sites. 
And so they sort of have a directive, like these are the frequencies you're supposed to be implementing. And then they'll they'll make sure they go through the specifics of how to get those implemented on that, those particular sites. They might have size limitations on the size of antennas on a site-by-site basis. So then they have to find the right antennas that allow them to mix and match those frequencies on that site, things like that. So that would go into play for an RF engineer if he's if he's designing a 5G only site using ultra ultra wideband, he's got a narrow focus there and what he's going to look for in the site in his design, correct? Yeah, you bet. So as a design engineer, he or she might be realizing that they've got a hot spot in a downtown corridor that's just getting hammered with traffic. And so they may decide, hey, I'm going to put a 5G ultra wideband only site at that hot spot to offload all that high bandwidth data traffic off the rest of the network. So at that level, the specific engineer may be making those selections based on what's best for his or her network. Do they also, the RF engineers, their responsibility to uh, pick the types of equipment that's available to them for the network? Yeah, yeah. And even that is, you know, there's standards around that, right? Each carrier is going to have standards because they've pre-negotiated deals with certain vendors and certain suppliers for, you know, purchasing power. So again, there'll be a higher level engineering function like at a corporate level that'll tell the field engineers, hey, here's what you're allowed to use. Pick and choose from these these things. Sometimes an engineer will want to use something very specialized and they you have to get permission from the food chain or whatever. But yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Wow, Dan. So RF, uh, those guys have a lot of tasks to be done, a lot of factors to consider at the beginning of a project to build a cell site from, you know, the location, the equipment, the type, the need, all of these things. So that's a pretty important role in designing of the network. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's jump to the next element and let's work group that's involved and tell us about how site acquisition plays within the team. Sure. And, it, you know, in my opinion and my, in my experience, the site acquisition team they're really the pivot point for the project. They they really play the the project management role, if you will, because they they have a finger on the process from the very beginning to the very end. They're typically the one portion of the team that is working with all parties involved as well. So they're working with the landlord, they're working with the construction contractor, they're working with the engineer. They typically also control the budget more than anybody along the way. Uh, it's it's different from company to company, but so really the site acquisition folks they they really are the the organizational brains, if you will, that are keeping everything on track and, and herding the cat, if you will. So and and like I said, they they typically need to be pretty good with negotiating, right? They're going to negotiate a lease. They're going to negotiate that contract with the landlord, and you know we're talking about. These are 20-year leases oftentimes, sometimes longer. So these are long-term leases with a lot of different terms in them, like, you know, escalators for consumer price index and inflation and, you know, all kinds of stuff, access easements, uh, because you might need to go across someone else's property to get to the site with your truck or, or what have you. You have to get zoning from the local jurisdiction. You have to get a building permit. These site acquisition folks are doing all of that. So they're very detail oriented. They understand bureaucracy and processes. They know how to navigate that. And it's a very iterative process. So they, they really have to be patient with, you know, dealing with all the different elements and 
get people to to meet in the middle, right? Make compromises for the betterment of the the whole picture of the site. So so that's that's really their role, and they they probably are one of the most important roles in the process. Yeah. So you 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 set a subject that's been you know controversial since the beginning of wireless really got mainstream is zoning and permitting. Mm-hmm. So different cities and different uh, jurisdictions have different processes and the site acquisitions role is to understand that process so that it's not, so the site actually gets built and didn't get dragged down in the red tape. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've had sites where, you know, I had very limited options as a radio frequency engineer in terms of the site actually working for me. And, you know, I had to say, listen, I know it's going to be tough, but we have to try to get this site in this area that's zoning is not going to allow it. And so we'd have to go through a lengthy rezoning process with neighborhood meetings and hearings where people show up with tinfoil hats and, you know, and, and that's where these site acquisition specialists really have to shine because those can be very high pressure, very important processes to maintain composure, present all of the place, you know, the, the, the shareholders well, so that, you know, people don't get a black eye. It's a very, very difficult process at times. And yeah, so that's that's their role. Yeah, so since I'm a project management kind of geek, you know, these type of processes, we're talking, this could take a year or better in some cases, and then other projects, six six months. So it's a long, you know, it's a long commitment to one outcome for just one site. We're not talking multiple sites. I have, I have seen sites that have taken upwards of five years because like, you know, these are sites that are being built like in the mountains where you're dealing with not just a landlord, but you might be dealing with the the federal government where you have forest service. You might be dealing with the federal government where you're dealing with regulatory agencies, say it's on Native American tribal lands, where you have to ensure that you're not disturbing sacred artifacts within the dirt. It might be a building that's a national historic landmark. So you have to deal with the national historic landmark agencies to get approval. Like it, I've seen sites that have taken five years I've got a project I'm personally working on right now that we're in year four on right now, dealing with all of those different variables. Wow. So is that another function of of the process is regulatory? I mean, it sounds pretty significant, but it kind of sits out here on its own. Does that deal with the FCC and, you know, all the other agencies involved when you try to build? Typically it, it does. The FCC is not so much of a long pull in the tent from that um, regulatory standpoint, but it is things like environmental protection, protection agency. So you may have okay. to do a soil survey, make sure there's no soil contaminants. If there are, you're now disturbing those and you have to do mitigation of that contaminant cleanup. Same thing, like if it's an old building and you have asbestos, asbestos abatement, things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of regulatory that goes on it. We've talked about it in some other episodes around human health, right? RF exposure, yeah. ensure that that we're staying compliant with those standards. So there's there's a plethora of, uh, you know, FAA, I'm building the tower. Is it in a glide path of an airport? Am I going to have to put lights on it? Is it going to be too tall? I might have to get an FAA study to determine if it's safe to not be a, a hazard to planes landing. And I mean, use, it goes on and on. There's a ton of different regula- regulations that have to be a, adhered to. Wow. So the site you know, acquisition folks, they, they do have a big poll. I mean, they are doing a lot of heavy lifting mm-hmm. from an administrative side of view, not only, you know, not only with the jurisdictions, but with the landlords and tenant who own the property of where the cell site's going to be, 
but more also just overall in the whole process. They're the, sounds like the first part of the project management two cycle where let's get all these parties to go so we can move it to the next phase, which is jumping right in, uh, is architectural. You want to jump into you know, what that means? Yeah, for sure. So this is, <clears throat> as you might imagine, it's not that dissimilar from being an architect for a building that's being built or a house or, or what have you. These are, these are folks that understand how to put the puzzle pieces together in a way that works. Um, they have a construction mindset. They also have a design mindset from the standpoint of, you know, human workflow and, and how things need to be spaced apart. They, they typically are going to be very computer aided design CAD focused where they're doing electronic drawings and, you know, laying out electrical, laying out structural. So, it, you know, the, uh, the electrical service is designed and accounted for to make sure the right amount of, of electrical service is provided for what the electronics is going to draw, you know, designing a road to the site. Let's say it's a mountaintop road and a road needs to be designed, compounds, shelters, all of that stuff. They're drawing all that up, putting it together in a way that will work with a, a construction mindset um, and getting all the various drawings together that are needed. So the site acquisition individual is going to need a drawing to submit to zoning for the zoning council to, to buy off on. They're going to need another set of drawings for construction to go to the building department for them to, to be able to see, yeah, it's structurally sound. It meets all of the requirements of our building code. All of the parties involved will review those drawings and redline them to make changes. The radio frequency engineer will say, no, that antenna is pointed the wrong way. I want it pointed here make that change. And so that, that really is what the architectural guys are doing. And then a sub element of that is structural engineering, especially on towers, right? Making sure that the load being put on that tower in terms of wind load, weight load, other loads like ice loads, you know, you have to account for the fact that ice might build up on that antenna, adds weight, adds wind load, making sure that that's not going to compromise the structure of the tower. If it is, what enhancements need to be made to the tower to make it strong enough, those types of things. And they even have to do, and this is jumping a little ahead to construction, they even have to do structural analysis for the construction process because while you're building on a tower, you're putting extra load on that tower during construction. And so they have to account for that in their analysis as well to make sure that those loads are accounted for during construction. So they're an important part of taking the vision and putting it on paper effectively. Wow. Um, and so. Yeah, we talk a little bit about rooftops. You know, those are those are complex places to build because normally the buildings at full occupancy at the time mm -hmm. of building a site on there. So they have to reevaluate the roof load, the waterproofing around the site, getting all the facilities in. Where where does the design of the connectivity to the site? Because you know, you and I talked about that the wireless world has wires. Where does that come in about like <laughs> capacity? I mean, I know it's a construction piece. You got to bring fiber there, but is that in the RF design side of, or where does that really come in the process? Well, that's a good question. So you you hit kind of a an additional element outside of these major four. There's a lot yeah, of okay. specialties along the way, and transport engineer is one of them. So you'll have transport specialists that that's their only job is to figure out okay, how much bandwidth do I need to the site? What are my options? You know, who are the different carriers out there? Whether I've got a a phone company or a fiber company like Zayo or, 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 you know, CenturyLink or Comcast or whoever that can bring that fiber to the site or, or maybe it's not even available and we have to do microwave, right? Microwave. Mm -hmm. right? And so now that's iterative, right? Cause now that comes back to the, 
design engineer, the architect, to account for a microwave antenna and deal with a microwave engineer to design that microwave link. So there's a lot of specialty design services that will come in on certain occasions. And that's a that's one that's there every time is the transport engineer. Yeah. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about like these when we when we when we're talking about this process, are we talking about just macro type cell sites or are we talking about small cells? Do they go through the same iterative process also? You got to have all the people involved, uh, RF, site acquisition, architectural, do a small cell site? Yeah, for sure. Uh, where small cells are a little different is in the site acquisition process, oftentimes small cells are just a miniature version of a cell site, right? So instead of it, mm-hmm. say, being a, you know, an 80 foot or 100 foot or 200 foot tower, it might be a 20 or 30 foot light pole that has the antennas hidden on it or you know, attached to a light pole. Oftentimes, some of those small cells, the way they're done is instead of traditionally going on uh, a private landlord's piece of dirt or what have you, they might be going in the public right-of-way. And that's a very big focus for a lot of small cells where public right-of-way for like Department of Transportation, for example, um, you're, you're there's a process that's actually driven by the federal government, by the FCC, that allows for these sites to be located in these public right-of-way areas. And as such, it's a whole different process. You're not doing individual leases now. Now you're doing an application with the agency that owns that, that has the control of that right-of-way for them to say, yeah, you can put those in there. And, And oftentimes those might be done in groups instead of one at a time. They might be done five or 10 at a time where a whole group of them along a highway, for example, is, is applied for. You may not have to go through the same zoning and permitting because it's a public right of way. It's it's designed by nature to hold utility type infrastructure, of which that's where these cell sites are kind of going under that under that umbrella of a utility type of a pole, just like a light pole that's put along the roadway, for example. So, but other other than that, it's a very similar process. All the different parties involved with the design, it just looks and tastes a little different. Wow. As we start, as you start to explain these different elements, it gets complicated. Just in our four initial starts, you know, we added regulatory and now transport engineering. Both have impacts to the architect, to the SIDAC, and to the RF engineer. Some known, some unknown until you get into the environment, until you do your site walk. So that leads into the, you know, I guess the final large element is construction. Mm-hmm. And do we want to jump into that today or do we want to talk a little bit about that in another podcast where we can really highlight all the different vendors who really participate in that world? Yeah. That's where both me and you come from. Absolutely. I think construction is going to be its own episode, but I'll talk maybe just briefly about yeah. the role of construction just within the design, right? Okay. If you don't have a construction-minded uh, focus at the table during the design, you're asking for troubles because next thing you know, you've got a site that's leased where there's a 20 year lease that's been signed with a lot of dollars committed. You've maybe gone through a zoning hearing, you've gotten building permits, you've drawn up the way the site's gonna be built and then you hand it to the construction guys and they're like, well, I can't do this. Like these soils are not, you know, we're not gonna be able to to dig the hole in the ground for the foundation because there's granite and we're going to have to blast or, you know, there's all of these real world situations that if you don't account for those in the design process, you're going to get caught with your pants down on the back end. 
when the process is done well, you'll have a construction manager, construction engineer that's part of that design process that's keeping an eye on those things and, and you know, tapping the architect on the shoulder and, hey, by the way, this is a pretty old building. Like, I have a feeling when we break this roof open, we're going to hit whatever, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hit asbestos and that's going to be a big mitigation problem. So let's try to design this without, you know, having to go break into the roof and do non-penetrating mounts on the roof or what have you. That's, that's really where the construction part of the design process comes in. In the later episode where we talk about construction in depth, we'll go into, there's a lot of, lot of factors that, um, that really at the end of the day, the construction folks have to, they have to earn their money for sure to make these things happen. Yeah, very, very well said too. And, they, and the construction folks have a lot of constraints too, weather constraints, coverage constraints, you know, material constraints and they're bringing it all together. So that'll be a really good episode. Well, I think this was well, you know, we, you went through the elements. Um, how would you sum it all up? You know, what kind of, you know, it, it seems simple and you and I look at it that way because of our careers, but it's really not. So how would you sum up the elements and the design side? Well, I think the best way I would sum it up is that every site's different. And there's literally tens or hundreds of thousands of them across the U.S., all of which are unique. And, you know, in my experience, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to create efficiencies through replicating, you know, cookie cutter approaches. But at the end of the day, I can't ever say that I've done two sites that were identical. Like there's always something unique that is required for every site on the design process. And so it takes people that can be very focused at leveraging efficiencies, but also very nimble and very flexible in understanding when to vary and how to do that in an efficient and quick manner so that otherwise the design process could be so different site to site that it takes a lot more money, a lot more time than it really you can afford. So it's a, it's a very unique process where, you know, it's like snowflakes. There's no two that are alike. And, but at the end of the day, when you take a step back, you can't tell the difference from a, a high level, right? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. I looked at some stats. There's around 350 to 375,000 sites in the United States, 150,000 towers. And so it kind of gives you the ratio. There is a lot of sites out there. I love to, uh, you and I should talk about stealthing. I think it's a really cool concept and, you know, how the sites are built to match the environment. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a full podcast episode, but it's super creative. Uh, and they've been made into everything from crosses to trees, to steeples, to you name it, you know, rocks. so I've literally fake rocks on the side of a hill. Serious. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Well, definitely a great, great episode. I mean, it kind of talks about, and. I think we can, you know, pay homage to a little bit in the construction side. And there's a lot of vendors who, uh, you know, just take care of that first part of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people involved trying to get this done with that many sites. And we're talking about pretty much about new construction, new sites, not really maintenance or other modification activities. Huh? Yeah, no, I, and we'll talk about that in a, you know, the construction episode or maybe Maybe we'll do a separate episode for just that topic alone, which is the modification of the network. That's, there's more effort put into maintaining and modifying the existing sites than there is building new sites, hands down, every year. Sites are touched all the time. Yeah, I had, I had read a stat at one time or was told uh, through one of our customers 
see that the network gets totally rebuilt every three to five years mm-hmm. through, mon- through modifications mm-hmm. and augments to the network. Well, great. That was a great episode. It was really good to look at that part of it. I think a lot of people wonder, you know, what goes into building the network of, you know, in the complexities that we have in today's world. And there's a lot of different steps. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for joining us for this one. Hopefully it kind of pulled the the veil back a little bit so you could see a little bit inside how the sausage is made. Next episode, I think we'll tackle uh, site acquisition, dive into that a little more deep help people understand the dynamics of the site acquisition part of the process. And uh, we'll go from there. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks for uh, joining us. As always, everyone, uh, hit us up on 5gguys.com. If you want to learn more, give us some feedback. Until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.